Hi, this is Michael. Welcome to another special episode, this time about sales management and everything you can do to how to run a team. So we're going to talk about how to do forecasts, how to do sales meetings, how to manage a team, how to bring focus, how to deal with shit, actually, and a lot of other things. Enjoy the podcast. Also, if you want to see the slides, because sometimes when I'm explaining forecasts and all of those things, you need to see the slides. So what you do is you go to my website, michaelhumble.com. There you can actually see the whole recording also with slides and all of that. Enjoy. Welcome to a new webinar. It's the almost last one of this year. And today we're gonna to do a bit of a special one. It's all about running your sales team. Now, this is something I traditionally do and I rarely teach. So you'll see that I'm gonna go from left to right, but I'm gonna cover all the main topics, like how do you run a team, where you should pay attention, what's the model you should do, and there are some other things. Now, if you have questions, you know how it goes, just hit them into the uh, questions or hit them into the chat. I will deal with them at the end. I'm gonna talk about 45 minutes and then I have time for your questions. Um, at the end, I also have a piece in commission structures uh, because that's a question I get a lot. Uh, and then they say, hey, motivation, commission, well, it goes hand in hand, but it's not the same thing. So let's look at your sales engine, right? The base is always three parts. First is everything to do with marketing fuel or sales fuel, basically generating leads. And generating leads, we do that by producing bait. So the worm on the fish hook that people want and by producing it at scale, right? And all of this will lead to a conversation. It won't lead to a sale. That's where a lot of people are wrong and that's where a lot of people try to shortcut whatever they're doing. Marketing, bait production, sales fuel, LinkedIn connections and chats, they all lead to conversations. And as of the conversation, what you do there is that you need to spark a sense of urgency. You need to explain why your prospect should buy your service or better, why should they solve their problem now? And that will lead to your sales machine. And your sales machine is all about getting a deal as fast as possible from A to Z. So literally increasing pipeline velocity. Now, it's all fun and games when I show this and everybody goes like, yeah, Michael, we understand. And then something happens, something happens. And it always hurts, always hurts when reality comes in. And reality will look like this. Whatever plan you have, whatever idea you have, shit will go wrong, right? It's either with team members, either you don't find people, there's things like COVID come around. It's always, always difficult. So that's the reason why I started explaining this lake of rejection, because we got to deal with it and all of that. But at the end of the day, we got to find a way to structure it and to process it. So let's go one step back. And in order to understand sales models and setup of sales team, you need to understand one of the most important metrics there is. Should you have that immediately when you're a startup or a scale-up? No. Should you have it when you're, a, let's say, a more a, a company or corporate? Of course. And it's called cost of acquisition. In Antwerp, they say the CAC, right? So cost of acquisition, in essence, says how much does it cost to do sales? How much does it cost to get a deal? If the cost is higher than the margin you're making the profit, well, you know your ship is sinking, right? So here are all the models. So we, we go from a freemium model, but freemium is not free, right? It costs money. Even when Dropbox came out and they said, oh, we'll give you uh, five gigabytes of free storage, it cost them money and a lot of money because they scale like crazy, which is a very classic example of a viral approach to a freemium model. Next one is no touch self-service. Think of the Amazons of the world. You basically do everything yourself, right? There is a cost associated. And the only way you can drive the cost down is by increasing scale. That is why if you look at Amazon now, if you speak about scale, they're hiring, <laughs> I've just read this article, they're hiring per day over 2000 people, right? The only way to get the cost down is economy of scale. And then we get to inside sales models. And I'll have a very special on inside sales. I'm going to talk a little bit deeper on inside sales later on. There are two models. It's, it's a light touch and a more high touch. Light touch means uh, basically qualifying. High touch means inside sales will also do the demo. Then you have the classic field sales models where you have 
a person going out to visit customers. And then you have field sales with service engineers. That's basically when they are selling very complex uh, technologies, you need uh, an engineer. Uh, let's call it that. Sales going to love this. A very smart person to come along to explain more detail about how it works. Because most of the time, sales are not really good in that trust, especially when it becomes very technical. So you bring a smart guy or girl along that can then explain the story. And I had a really funny story there. One day I'm sitting at... Um, at this, I was at the, not at the board, but just below. Basically, we had this meeting and the decision was going to be made and I brought George. George, if you're listening, George was my sales engineer. Very smart guy, was very quiet, listening, and I'm doing the blah, 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 blah. You know how it goes, right? Ah, da, 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 da. And suddenly the CEO says, Michael, I want you to stop for a second. Can I ask a question to George? He said, yeah, he's sitting here. And he says, George, and he looked him deep into the eyes and said, George, does your software really do what Michael is claiming he does. And George looked at him and he says, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I am not lying like him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to punch him in the face. No, seriously, I didn't do that. I, uh, we actually won the deal because of George, right? Now, when I was in several of the larger software companies I was working, some of the deals were extremely expensive, right? Even way higher than what you see the amounts. So basically what I'm trying to say is that when you look at all these models and you look at the price they cost, you know you need to try and optimize this model, right? So I'll give you an example of a company called Cumulus Pro. So what they had was they were selling, they are still selling a, a, a software that has to do with uh, recognition of documents and the whole workflow BM, it's called BPM. And what they were doing is they had sales traveling all over Europe explaining it. But if you look at the revenues and at the models, it was just go, not going fast enough to it was just expensive. So what they've done is they've basically cut and didn't cut it. So what they did is they repositioned their sales to the larger corporates, the larger deals, which takes longer. I'm going to get there immediately. And they also introduced a lighter product, uh, which basically was the same product, but they just give it a different name. And they pushed that into no touch. You could buy it on the website. You could try it on the website. Or they had a girl in that case, they were just phoning around to customers saying, hey, uh, how can you do it? And by doing that, you basically have two models. One of the things that uh, I implement a lot into companies, I like the choice. So what I'll do is I'll always immediately make two choices. I'll take whatever you have and create a premium version of it, right? Even with features that you still need to develop. It's okay because sales takes a long time. How long does it take? Well, it depends, right? So if you look at, at business, Typically, very small business or small business, uh, it's zero to three months. Uh, if you're in B2B, this is B2B. SMB, three to nine months, and enterprise, nine to 18 months, classically. Reason why enterprise, because you have hierarchy. You need to convince multiple people. You need to work your way through. Where in a small to medium-sized business, you can go in and you immediately speak with the person that has the authority. So what's the sales strategy you should apply? Well, if you go to small businesses, it has to be really scalable. So you need to think of internet sales. I know it sounds like the year 2000. It's like saying the word digital. Yeah, we're thinking of digitalizing, <laughs> seriously. But in essence, let's call it online sales, whatever channel, right? If we go to SMB, we should be looking at inside sales models. If we go to very large corporates, I would do sales executives, potentially with sales engineers, but I do would like you to use inside sales to speed up the sales fuel, the early part to get more flow into that machine. So, Michael, uh, do you know some of the statistics that, that um, if, if I look to SaaS software, for instance, well, let me share some insights. I think depending on the amount, uh, you should be looking in an optimum phase for SaaS business that you should be able to sell between around three months. That would be the dream. And I've seen it in Belgium and in the Netherlands many times. It is possible. Larger amounts, you'll always spend more time than, than three months. It's very rare that you can get it to shortcut, unless, unless the fire is burning. Typically now, this spirit, and you're actually a little bit too late. This is the first week of December. One of the things your sales should be doing now is to try to get excess budget. Basically phone up everybody saying, how are you? How are things going? Don't even push for sales. Typically they'll say, oh, it's good that you phoned because we have extra budget. And you know, large corporates, they want to spend the extra budget or the year after they don't have any budget left. This is a very classic traditional sales trick. 
use it. It works. Now, there was a study um, a few years ago. There was a, a bunch of people. They wrote a book called The Challenger Sale. Uh, and in all honestly, I, I like the book a lot. I didn't like reading it because it's very... Um, it's very technical. It's a lot of uh, stories around how they did the survey and just basically proving that they're right, which is, yeah, I'm fine, just give me the conclusion. So I'm gonna give you the conclusion. Uh, and what they figured out is that if you look to sales teams, there are actually five profiles of sales. And the first one is the hard worker, always working, goes the extra mile. We all know these people. Second one is the lone wolf. That's when most people think of sales, they think of the Wolf of Wall Street, also called the wolf. Um, we always think of these guys or girls dressed up nicely, very being very dominant, right? Very dominant and, and they they try to bend reality to their to themselves. Then we have what they call a problem solver. You have a problem, you phone them up. They help you. We have the relationship builder. I always was one of those people I would go in, I wouldn't be looking to shortcutting, I would really talk to everybody and basically I want to make sure everybody loves me, right? Uh, and 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 whatever my boss would say I said, don't go there. We're doing this for the long term, right? Which was an excuse to not always perform at my optimum peak in those days. And then we have something called the challenger sales, which basically has a very different view of the world. They like the debate and they kind of push the customer and they do a bit more provocative type of selling. I remember in one of the webinars, I explained all the different style of, of selling, all the methodologies. Typically, relationship builder is a solution selling approach uh, or a consultative selling approach. Challenger sales and lone wolves, they have a provocative style. The problem solver is very classic, classic solution selling and the part worker, well, it, it can literally be everything, but what he's not going to do is provocative selling. Now, if you start looking into all these profiles, and they explain it very well in the book, then there is one and two, there are two, basically statistically win, which for me was an eye-opener. And if you look at it, then the clear winner, you start to looking at the left, you see that basically the challenger and lone wolf statistically win more. Now, if you look into the high performance, right, if you put them all together, you'll see that the, 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 the balance goes pretty close. Now, for me, the most interesting was not this, but the most interesting was the following. If you have a, it, no, let me rephrase it. In many cases, when I'm talking to businesses, they sometimes literally overthink their solution or product. And I have to look at it and then I say, it's not as complex as you think it is. It's actually rather simple, right? So if you have rather simple things, you've got to really look into, into the sales storyline. But some companies also have really complex products like artificial intelligence, or for instance, if I have to give an example of a company I'm working now with, which what they do is they make a mix of all artificial intelligence and they're basically going to score that, all of these elements together. So here, what you have is the moment you have a low complexity sale, the uh, actually it doesn't really matter what type of personality you are in sales, except the one clear thing is that the relationship builder is very rarely winning, which I thought would win, no. But if you go to high complex sales, suddenly you see the challenger and the lonely wolf really peaking like crazy. So when we get to hiring strategies, everybody asks me, Michael, I need a hunter and they are rare to find. I'm gonna explain later on how I do interviews, but hunters, are rare breed to find. People that open doors, they're fearless, right? There is also when they're, when they're junior, there is a danger because they'll say yes to everything, which is a real problem if you're trying if for your, the rest of your company, right? So I think you should always hire a blend. You have people that are really good in relationships. You have people that are really good in the real hunting. They tend to wreck a lot of things because they want to close the deal. So you've got to find the balance, how you build that. If you're very... Uh, if you're a startup going to scale up, be careful with true hunters because they'll really wreck your company to pieces because they'll suck, they're like gravity, they'll suck every resource they can and they'll always have these very nice excuses to you as an executive saying, hey, no, 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 we've got to get the deal and we have to do all of this and they'll give everything for free just to get the one big deal. Balance that, please, right? Balance that. Now, one of the things that annoys me enormously is the classic sales meeting. Every morning in a company, there is a sales meeting. And what happens is 
is the same thing. Every company goes there. It always ends up, if you have four people or you have 50 people, it always ends up with a forecast. For me, the sales meeting, let's do it like this, is not the forecast meeting. They are two separate things. And if I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm with 10 people, or let's say with five, let's make life easy, five people, and they're all doing their blah, 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 I've done this deal, I'm there, I'm there. I fall asleep, which is a big problem, right? And it's not my fault. It's just the content is just not interesting. Two, you might have noticed that all of these meetings, you always talk about the same shit. It's always the same shitty customer. It's nine months in a row, the same shitty customer. And then after nine months, everybody's tired. And you're basically happy that you don't talk about it while you may have left a lot of potential on the table. So finding the balance between extremely operational, doing forecast, and actually building a business and learning something is difficult. So what I want you to do in sales meetings is I want you to build business, motivate, and actually teach, right? And sales can learn from each other. And that is where the big weakness is because we try to shortcut. We panic, this week is not going well, Oh, let's do a, what's it called? A war room. Man, so many war rooms. They phone me. Oh, Michael, we're in a war room. So. You can't have a war room every single week. Stop doing that. So here is my advice. I would do something else. So I think you need to run your business on either quarterly or either monthly. Weekly is very B2C. Weekly is when you have lots and lots and lots of smaller transactions. So most companies will either deal with it monthly or quarterly. And of course, the executive will take a year, but that's too long. That's too long. So either monthly or quarterly. So what do we do is we basically a few days before the no, not a few days when the quarter starts, because you got a run, run, a run of the quarter. When the quarter starts, you basically ask your sales team, including marketing, including inside sales, you say, make me the plan. And the plan should look like this. You give them a template, something that looks like this, and you basically say you can choose two to three maximum focal points. Because don't forget, you cannot do more than two to three. It's insane. First, your first point is always acquisition. What will you find as new business? Where will you find it? You see, acquire new accounts by focusing on product sales and then you chop it in pieces. What does that mean? Because you want to teach your sales actually to be able to start phrasing the strategy. The, the, the advantage of doing this approach is that you basically could just take copy paste, go to the board. That's the plan. So your job as a sales manager is to teach him some of this because it's going to make your life way easier. Two, it's going to get their brain wired differently because what I watch, what I focus on, what I do every day is where I will go. This is the blueprint, right? And a lot of sales man managers don't do it because they have never been taught to do it this way because they've always been taught to do forecasts, right? We talk about forecasts later because I'm pretty sure that most of you will do a shitty forecast actually because forecasts is not a ball game. So back to this. You get two to three points. Point one is always acquisition, how to get more business. Point two, you see here, is how can you sell more on existing customers? Depends a bit on how you structure your sales. How can we sell more, right? Um, how can we drive it more? Uh, and then the last part is, in most cases, two things. It's either how to improve an internal process to sell more, Right. So, for instance, one of the guys would make a sales playbook. Uh, one of the girls would actually start building a, a funnel. I mean, uh, all right, all the emails, the cold emails they do in and they document it. Right. That's for me. It's good because as long as it's scalable and as long as it ties into the goal of acquisition or upsell, cross-sell, whatever you want to do, for me, it's fine. And sometimes if people struggle with that, I give them, I call it like a crazy idea. Because don't forget, we salespeople by nature are chaotic, right? And salespeople by nature like new things. And you might have noticed if you say we have a new software and product, they'll always go for that first, right? And they'll go in and they'll start talking about it and they're excited. Oh, we have something new and because they're proud to have something new. 
but that's a problem because you want them to sell the shit you have now, right? So what I do is I basically aim that gun and I'm going to tell them, listen, you get a crazy project, one, and you're going to stick to it for three months and you're going to document it because that's important. You're going to document what works, what doesn't work. And I have to be able to measure it in a quantifiable way. For instance, uh, if you look at a new niche, build a new sales deck, build a, the new sales storyline, find me 10 uh, qualified opportunities in whatever, but something a bit more experimental. Right? And that way you also, it's like a high pressure cook pan. So if the pressure gets too high, you diffuse it, right? Because if you always have to do the same thing and over and over, there is no learning. So why would you do it? So back to the lesson, we asked them to make this. You say you have two, three days, no more. You don't want them to spend days and days on this because you can think it is that, right? So you ask them, they come to you for review. You discuss with the sales. Once you agree, the next sales meeting on a Monday, every sales individually presents their plan. One, two, three. They get 10 minutes, so they have to learn to summarize. That's another topic. Sales has to learn to summarize because a lot of salespeople, when they start talking, they'll try and kill you by having this really nice conversation. And it's like this, it's like they're playing the flute in front of a snake and the snake doesn't know what. Be careful, right? Be careful. 10 minutes, get your shit in there. You don't cross the line. And what you do then is if they have those three points, you map that on a timeline because you can't do everything at the same time. Typically, People are not efficient because they try to do too many things at the same time. When I get stuck, it's because I make a to-do list of 20 things. It doesn't work. Make a to-do list of two things. You will get it done. So make sure you bring focus. And when they make this timeline and they put everything there, and you see it's the same to the left, it's the same topics as the slide before, it's your job as a manager to tell them it is too much. It is okay not to do it this week, but to do it in two weeks. I know you want it all. I know you want to focus, but you all got to learn to balance this. If you balance this, you give them a bit more freedom. On the other hand, you take it away by saying, we agreed, you agreed to do this now. So the next two weeks, it's okay not to do other stuff. You're going to do this now. And then of course, they'll try to do everything. And it's your job to say, we agreed, it's okay not to do that, but you should do that. That's your job. When I was, um, I've been a sales manager, sales director, vice president of sales. I, for me, the hardest balance was the, the, the balance between I teach, I explain, I run the organization and I do it myself. We all fall into the trap of doing things ourselves because it's not going fast enough or you, you're just trying to shortcut and that is no scale. I know it's hard, but that is no scale. So here are the tools how to run that, right? So what we then do is, so you fill in the plan, you fill in the timeline, you agree, and then you get to the monthly, the weekly meeting, sorry, every Monday, because the whole world is in a meeting Monday morning, so you shouldn't have the cold calling or anything. And then you let them fill in two slides. Slide number one is their perspective. They have to start thinking about how, what should they phrase or how should they phrase what the week was? It's going well, it's not going well. And you'll see that a lot of people have a lot of troubles phrasing this. It needs to be a little bit more strategic. You need them to learn to summarize, which is so difficult for them. Right? And then you have change in attention points for management. What's well or what's bad? Do you need to have something there? No, sometimes the machine is running. If the car is running, why should you say every week, hey, the car is running? Don't say it, right? The good thing is when you have these type of slides, you basically immediately see what's the problem. And then what you do is you remember, I'm gonna go quickly back. You remember this slide, right? This slide with the three bullet points. We take those three bullet points and we put them here to the left. Then we say, what have we achieved? What are the next steps? And what are the attention points? And we give it a color code. And I learned it from my friends at McKinsey. They use this type of technique in, in many, many projects. But it works really well for our sales because no sales wants to be red, right? And so what they'll do is they put everything in green all the time. No, 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 no. Calm. Green is very rare, right? Green is very rare. So it's going to be, they have to deal with the red. And you want it sometimes to be red because it's like when I got stuck uh, sometimes and, and I 
You'll see it when we talk about CRM, we tend to fill in everything we're doing. Now, if you remove everything and you say, what are you going to close this week? Yeah, but uh, no. What will you close this week or let's say this month? Yeah, but it's, it's one deal. Okay, let's put the one deal in there. So you take away every clutter, you just leave the one deal, and then you say, how many calls did you do for it? How many? And you, there is no escape. And it's so extremely painful. So one of the interview techniques that I also use is with sales. And you immediately feel when they're very hunter types and they're very manipulative and they kind of bend gravity around you is I'll take away all the clutter and I go back to facts, back to really back to the core and facts. And it's very difficult. And at a certain stage, they have to say, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly why you want to have them because they're honest and that's the fact and then you start building again so back to the slide in this case we had three levels we look at achievements what has been done quantifiable very important what are the next steps and only if there are needed attention points you fill them in so what you do is from a very pragmatic point of view uh, most of the time i would have a google uh, most times google sheets I would say to the sales every, uh, okay, guys, you know your two slides you need to fill in, this one and the previous one, fill it in, and by the next sales meeting, we just open it up. And they typically over the weekend or a Friday, it doesn't matter, they would fill it in. And then they get their 10 minutes of fame. And they actually need to only, so the, the other problem that will happen is that they'll start reading everything. You say, no, dear friend, you summarize, just tell us what is relevant for the others and sometimes i would say very blunt stuff i would say listen dude do you think i cannot read uh yeah you can read well it's on the screen just tell me what i need to know one two three right you you gotta compress you gotta compress and 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 especially the other side of the sales meeting is if somebody can is stuck at a dealer that's what you gotta talk i'm stuck i've tried that and then on that what are other ideas that is where you should spend your time or we recorded a cold call here are five cold calls let's all listen to them together and try and fix them man i've been writing these cold emails and i'm stuck hey linkedin see make it around very short what are you doing what's going well what's not going well what's relevant for the others plus what can we learn pipeline forecast all that stuff that is individual and you do one times per month you do a formal forecast meeting very formal come in crm needs to find if it's not fine there is the door get out come back when it's done right so they know there is no room to wiggle never give room to wiggle if you give room to wiggle you're in trouble you're going to feel good but you're in trouble now how do you create scale scale for me is three points one is all around segmenting as you grow in the beginning, you do everything yourself. As you grow, you start segmenting. And as you even grow more, you start really segregating all these roles. And I'm going to give you some examples of that. Two, accountability from day one is very important. But the problem is that a lot of the KPIs and a lot of the, the, the accountability is actually positioned wrong. So you as a leader say, okay, I want you to go there. But then every day you phone them and you ask them something else. What do you think is going to happen, right? They want to please you fundamentally. So they'll move their ship like this. No, you are the leader. You have to say, we're going to go there. It's okay to spend all your time on that and on nothing else. But you cannot keep changing the ship. ship. Unless, of course, COVID hits you and, and I mean, some of these. But still, really try to get the line. So the previous slides basically explained you how yourself can create that line, how yourself can create the vision, how you can actually build up to the plan, right? And the last one is you're going to measure how to get there. And that's one of the issues I keep seeing is that most of the measurement in sales is always about closed deals. And yes, you're right. Revenue, closed deals is the ultimate sum. But if you know your deal cycle is 18 months, how on earth can you measure somebody that just starts in the 18 months and the beginning of it? It's too long. It's just too long. Cause effect is, is too much separated. You've got to try and squeeze it together. So one of the things I'll do is I'll chop the process in pieces and I'll start measuring, especially when very long deals. I basically start measuring the basics in the beginning, which is quantity of reach out. And then I'll go into quality. What's the, what's the percentage of qualified? And then I get, okay, so how many percent? I'll always balance between quality and quantity. Here are some examples. So if you're looking for the amount, here is all the issues you can have. If you're looking for the amount of leads, if that's not high enough, 
you've got to increase volume. Volume comes down to outreach, scale outreach. If you don't have enough meetings or you, you, you struggle with the meetings, you've got to go back to the pitch itself, the value prop. If you tell me, Michael, I have issues with the price or Michael, my deals are not moving fast enough, probably you're not solving a problem that's big enough. So basically you need to go back to your storyline and make the problem bigger. Or you might be talking to the wrong people, which again comes down to storyline, right? And personas. If you struggle with quotes itself, it comes down to sales skills. A lot of sales have issues saying it's 50,000 euro and then quiet, right? They are really struggling with that. So asking the right, coaching them in asking the right questions and being brave on some of these points. And there's a lot of little techniques and that's where uh, sales training actually helps. I, I, most of the time I don't like sales training, but for that element, it really works. It's really negotiation techniques. How do you behave? How do you sit? How do you perceive the other, the non-verbal techniques? And it takes time. That's true sales skills. PO, of course, if the PO comes in and nobody does something, it's an operational problem. And it's last, of course, you need to upsell. That should be sitting with customer success. Are you happy? Uh, have you thought of this idea? Here is another customer doing some of this really cool stuff. I wanted to share with you because you have the same problem and you have the same software, but you're not doing this, that kind of stuff. That is actually how you build a very efficient machine. So the sales machine has two parts. You have everything that has to do with fuel. You have everything that has to do with the process itself, right? So let's uh, look at an example of something uh, if things go bad. Typically, uh, when I come into a company, it's either going really bad or the other alternative is not it's going bad, it's, the, it's just a mess. They basically tried everything and they look, they're like this and they say, Michael, well, well, what do we do? So one of the things I would do typically is I would go back to the court. I would say to salespeople, I would say, okay, what is your top three this week? What are you going to do this week? And they will tell me the most amazing stuff. Yeah, I'm going to do calling and I'm going to do LinkedIn reach. And they can just keep, and I, I shut up. I just go back and I listen. And they, they talk for 10 minutes, da, 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 da. And eventually they'll, the, this, the language stops, right? The conversation dries out. And I, and I then go back to, I take a piece of paper and then I do something really painful. And I say, okay, so you said LinkedIn. Okay. How many? You say cold calling. Okay. How many a day is that? And when would you do that? I'll make it extremely tangible. And it's very painful sometimes because you realize that most sales don't have a system. And I tell you, I deal with a lot of senior sales. Most sales don't have a system. They opera operate in this kind of chaotic movement, which is very interesting. And I used to be exactly the same. It, this changed in my mind the moment I was running a large sales team. So you have to make it extremely black and white. It will be very painful because you realize that most don't have a system. It means you have to give a system. So typically, if I feel that, I'll go back to this. So what are you, what's your top three of this, of this week? And make it extremely tangible. Again, always think acquisition, upsell, uh, improve a process, document something, learn something. Always think like that. And then what you do is you write it down, three things, that's it. And then the next week, I'll phone them up and I say, okay, so how was your last week? Oh, I didn't do this. And it has to be extremely tangible. Oh, I didn't do that and didn't do that. If they can't do that, what they tell you to do, they're not good in setting goals. You have to set the goals. It's very simple. You teach them, right? And if it's really bad, you know what to do. Second thing is, uh, by the way, I don't meet a lot of bad salespeople. It's very rare I really meet bad salespeople. Most of the time I meet bad management, as in they don't know how to manage this or I meet people that just where where somebody has to say no to them in a very clear way no we're not gonna go there yeah but it's good for the no let, I'll decide this you need to go there this top three system works really well it's a bit simple I know sometimes but it's 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 painfully inevitable it brings focus okay so let's Typically, also, uh, the other thing, and then that's good that it's in there, is that most of the time, salespeople tend to be busy with internal stuff. Oh, I need to do this, and I need to do that. And that's something I take away. And I'll always optimize that. I'll say, no, 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 no. You sales, I want you to refocus on outbound, outside, talking to customers. 
And fixing that, removing that friction internally is one of the major, major routes to scale. And you don't always realize how busy some of these people will get with internal stuff. And that's something you have to take away. So another thing I like to do is I like to visualize the quarters, saying, if we look at a quarter, three months, what are the actions, right? And here's a real one, I can't say which, which company, but they do it with color codes. So they started figuring out that they get a lot of meetings if they go to events. So we rechanged their whole model to going to events, organizing their own webinars, doesn't matter, going or organizing yourself. And then we started looking into the team. So the yellow is, uh, is, a, is a sales, the blue one is a sales. And we started figuring, we started mapping it out so that at least it would be nice, fluent line. And we figured out we had massive holes all over the place. So when we visualize a month or three months with actions or compelling events, we can actually rebuild this, uh, their, their strategy and their model. And you can find the gaps very, very quickly. Um, other thing, hiring. I told you, I promise you, it's, it's, uh, it's going to go from left to right a bit. Uh, I hope you ask lots of questions on all the topics I'm, I'm, uh, I'm addressing. One of the things that, that keeps coming back to me is uh, sales hires. How do you hire somebody? And it, it's very difficult. So what I do is the following. One, I have, you see the sheet here, it's an Excel sheet. Uh, if you want it, either reach out to me on LinkedIn or my email is on every single slide. If you haven't noticed, I'll send you a version of this one. Basically, what I do is I'll have lots of uh, um, criteria in there. You see them here, coachability, curiosity, work ethic. I have I give them a score and there is a weighting mechanism in there. Some things are more relevant than others. And at the end, you have a score and then you can compare it in a dataful, in a meaningful way to other candidates. Because the problem is somebody walks in, you think you fall in love with the candidate. Really good. So you measure everybody against, you're probably not doing the best hire. So one, you need a data approach to hiring. This is a very good one. I think I read the first time about it in a book called The Sales Acceleration Formula. So you build the sheet and then you also have this, you see this top part here, candidate name, score, and then you see summary of strength, summary of weakness. So you have to summarize it. And now comes a very difficult one is the next step recommendation. Hire, not hire, go to the second route. And even for me, I'm sitting every week into these interviews. Sometimes I'm really like, what should I do? And here is good advice, especially Belgians. If somebody asks us our opinion and we have to score it on 10, we'll give it a good Belgian seven. It's nothing, right? It's good nor bad seven. You should never, ever use seven because it makes you really think about it. It's either going to be a six or an eight, right? And that way, you'll be much more honest to yourself and it will give you a very dramatic different view. Now, that's just one part. So I have the Excel sheet in front of me. I start filling it in. I ask questions and I give kind of, it's a bit of a gut intuitive feeling, I know, but at least I have a way to compare it, right? Second thing I do is if my first interview will be on the phone or something. I just want to hear a voice. Voices are really important, right? I want to hear a voice. I want to hear how they approach me. So I'll tell them, just, you just phone, here's my number, just phone me up and um, try and sell to me, right? Basically, you want to have a chat. So you want to hear how they open, how they open. And then I said, okay, if I like them or I feel there is a click, I'll ask them to prepare something. I'll say, okay, I'm going to send you a slide deck with six to seven questions it's our empty slides and i want you to ask me any question that you want or you can um you can look all the information up you want but i want you to come to me and present it to me and whoever hr whoever is in charge you need at least two to three people in the room the reason i do it is that i find it crazy that we hire salespeople without having seen them perform under pressure or have seen them present. 90% of their job is presenting. Online, digital, offline, doesn't matter. They gotta be able to stand up, present and be there. So you gotta do this, right? That's one of the best, because the weird thing is when I would just hire on CVs and see, meet people, I'm always wrong. When I see them present, I'm most of the time right. And it's not always the same. Sometimes people are really good in a conversation when the moment you see them present, you think, damn, this is bad. So what are the questions? First questions here, I've put uh, to the right, I've put them in there. So first one is, uh, who, who, uh, who and where would you target? 
What would be your target? Where would you go? What would be the audience you go to? And how would you do that? Right? Two, vision. Uh, so imagine the target of the sales would be a million. Uh, let's say something, a million or 100K or doesn't matter. So if you say a million, take a big number. How would you scale to 5 million? You want them to think outside of the box. It has to be a painfully big number, right? Don't overdo it. Don't say 50 because that's insane, right? But you want them to start thinking really differently. And then you say, for instance, as an inspiration, what should you, eh, what should we as a company not do? It's a negative question. It's an annoying question because you really have to start thinking about it. And then you come to the really painful questions. How would your pipeline look like in 120 days? And, and I must say, that's one of the questions I learn really a lot because some of them will have this whole metric they calculate. Some of them will say literally, yeah, I'm going to have 10 deals and I, based on what? And then you know they're a dreamer. A really good answer was in most businesses, it's not a lot. In 120 days, you won't have a lot of deals, probably none. But what you can do is you can increase the pipeline and you see what I'm doing? And the last one is what will make you successful in your role? And then they need to say stuff like, hey, boss, you need to leave me alone. <laughs> it's important. They need some freedom. If they don't go for it, if they don't dare to say that stuff and they'll just do uh, the, the Japanese hi, hi, sensei, it's not going to work, right? So he, he, this thing changed dramatically. The mix of those two, you present to me five, six, empty slides, I have a chat. It becomes a very different way. Also, how they play with the audience, do they put jokes in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you want it, send me an email. We talked a lot about pipeline in the previous sessions. I'm not going to go into the phases, but you do remember something very important I want to touch. If you look at all these phases, traditionally, we all think that a pipeline would look like this, which is not the case. Pipelines often look like that, right? It's very chaotic and a lot of time of the sales is spent not in the front, but is spent in doing what sales is doing well, is the presentation, the pricing, the negotiation. And basically, if you want to build your entire business around it, you get fluctuating revenues, which is really bad. So we need to look at that front side and we need to rethink how we would build a team. And this is, would be our perfect team would look like. You have a sales representative focused for meetings, uh, and closing, but also prospecting in their own network. And then you would fill it up with an SDR called sales development trap or inside sales. That's actually responsible for the first part. It's qualification or really lead gen, LinkedIn, outreach, uh, cold calling, all of that. There are two variances. Then you would have marketing to generate and feed SDRs, right? Because you want to go really big. And once it's sold, you want to get to customer success, which basically is for the upsell and the cross sell, right? That's, uh, I have lots of specs in there. You can uh, see it later if you need that. Just send me an email. Um, where I want to get to is to these inside sales because I never talked about it. And there are basically two models uh, you have inside sales that is very outreach oriented very cold outreach oriented. Their day task is building lists, is trying to find ways to reach out to people, cold calling, but that could also be cold emailing, LinkedIn, all of that. Typically, they are junior sales, your future sales, actually, and it's called uh, inside sales SDR. There is another variance. If you have a business where there's a lot of leads coming in, you need something else. You need somebody that's really good in relationship, that gives a lot of trust, and that's basically that doesn't like to open doors everywhere, but basically, once the door is open, they're really good. The job there is to do qualification, figure out is the person good or not good? Will this company be able to buy my stuff? So how do you construct all of this? So, so you construct it depending on the model you're in. So one of the things I always recommend is don't start with the hiring sales, start with hiring inside sales. And when you have enough meetings, then you hire a sales so they can kickstart in the process. So typically inbound model, you have one qualifying person that moves to two sales. If you go to standard models, you really have a mix between both. If you have an outbound model, well, you need to really, really, really push. So you have two, two SDRs for one sales. And if you have very large accounts, you'll have one inside sales per sales. So if you look to a company like Showpad, uh, in the higher up, uh, in the corporate business, they'll have one-on-one. -on -one, but once you go a little bit down, they'll have two-to-one sales, right? And you, you'll see this coming back over and over. And it also rebalances the cost of your sales, by the way. Remember, I started with cost of acquisition. This is a way to rebalance your cost of sales and also to rebalance your dependency on one sales. Typically, there is always one doing better than the rest and they get a lot of power. 
it's also as a manager a scary position because if that person they can put you in hostage situation you don't want that so you always want to make sure that you kind of rebalance what's happening when you're small this is difficult i understand but as you grow you can really reposition it something i see in a very lots of large companies is I don't see a lot of inside sales type of models. I believe it's the future of sales next to hyper-personalization, some of the other stuff. But if you're looking to tooling and all of that, this is where you can actually balance the workload. How should their day look like? Here is an example. Uh, what I would do is I would have two to three blocks of outreach, an hour and a half really outreach, like a machine, take away everything. Here's a list, duck, 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 duck. It can be LinkedIn, it can be cold emailing, it can be phoning, it can be WhatsApping, I don't care. Outreach, proactive, going out. And then the other part of the day is you need a bit of breath because if you do that eight hours in a, in a, in a row, you're nuts. It's Nobody's going to keep it up. That's why most of these call centers don't really work for your business because it's just too much. We burn them. So you make blocks. And then there is some research. And then what you do is you also build in like what I call a social block. A social block is really to post something, to connect, to have a little chat, all of that. You've got to make room for that because sales now is no longer just the phone or just LinkedIn. No, it's a myriad of different things, right? Connect with as many leads as possible and then educate and qualify the leads you connect with. That's the magical trick. We're getting almost to the end and I want to keep some room left for uh, chat. So I want to quickly go into forecasting. Typically when I enter somewhere and I say, show me the pipeline, I get, uh, here's an example of pipe drive. I get this extremely massive pipe drive or CRMs. It doesn't matter. It can be something else. I also see a lot of uh, team leader. I see a lot of HubSpot. I see a lot of Salesforce. It doesn't really matter. I see lots of stuff. But when I ask the question, what will you close this month or this week? They have to start clicking and it's always the same thing. Hey, hang on, hang on. And it always takes time. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. It's because we always, as sales, we want to please. And we want to make sure that if we don't have result yet, that we can prove that we're really busy. And that's okay. But we got to make a clear distinction between filling a pipeline and doing all this activity and forecasting. So when I meet investors, large investment firms, I work a lot for, for these guys, they always ask me the same thing. It's really funny, but it's always the same thing. Michael, teach them how to forecast. So you feel that although you've done all of this, forecasting is something else. Forecasting is actually making an estimate. And here is a system I use. So you have what you just see in the pipeline, where you put in everything that is happening and the phases and all of that. But the forecast is, once per month, once per quarter, uh, once per week, you could do it, but I would avoid it. Um, you basically are going to make something like this. And here is an example. This is a very basic uh, Excel sheet uh, in this case. I've, it's very hard to do this in CRM because what I do is, first of all, I only take deals. you got to write this down because it's not in slides. I only take deals at above 50%. So we can only, for forecast, look at deals that where a quote has been sent. One. Two, we have an expected closing date, right? So we look at deals that have been gotten, I mean, the prospects that got on a quote, plus if they put in a deal, we're going to decide this month, we get them into this sheet. And into this sheet, we put to the left, key deals in the pipeline, we say upsell or acquisition and upsell existing or acquisition new product. And then we say, in this case, do you commit the deal will come in or there might, it might move. A commit means I take your hand, I put it in the fire and say, is it going to come? Yes or no? Yes or no? No, yes or no? And you'll suddenly see that most sales will say, no, yeah, good, 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 right? Do you swear in the head of your children? Yeah, well, I'll swear on my mother or my wife, but not on my children. So that whole amazing filled CRM suddenly will come down to one or two lines in this type of forecast. And that's what board members want to see. This is the real sales. So you say, for instance, in this case, ARR is annual recurring revenue. That's, so this was a business where they were measuring the revenue and the service. In this business, they said there are three deals that will come in Q2. Yeah, this is painfully low, I know, but for the sake of the exercise, follow. 
And then there are some deals that actually, uh, it's, by the way, it's not painfully low. These are K, yeah? so this is 6 million, by the way. Um, the other deals that people have said it's going to come, but they might slip because of procurement. Because if they say, yes, it's still going to take them three weeks to get through procurement, or there is still something not done. So what I do is I put them in upside. So this way, if I come in and I say, I expect to close this month, that amount, but in upside, I have that, I can literally move around working. So I have CRM to be filled in with everything. Then I make an extract, forecast, commit. And actually what you don't see here is I have another line here, which has next steps on every single deal. For the sake of time, um, I'm going to go a bit quicker. Here are some examples of forecasts, and I've put some of them in the thing. And the one thing that typically you see here, you see this big, big line going up. If I see something like that, and we are currently in June, I know they're, I know they're sandbagging. Basically, what they've done is they put everything they could imagine in CRM, and then they moved everything to the next quarter, end of next quarter. It's a worry for later. If I see that, I know we're in trouble, right? I know we're in really, really, really trouble. Another example I wanted to show you is, so that's this one. Another something is how long do deals spend in the pipeline? If deals like this one stay 197 days in qualification, there is no deal. It's nothing. It should not be there. It should be in the nurture queue. It should go to marketing, to other stuff. But deals that stay too long, it is impossible. So if you can check that, and it's not easy from an analytics point, but if you can figure that out, that would be really good. Last but not least, a few uh, advices. I, I think you should inspect what you expect. Uh, and one of the things that if I have to give you one advice, if you're running a sales team, that was golden for me is random controls. So I would basically look at the agenda and just show up, show up for a call, show up for an online meeting, show up for a meet. I, I would just physically be there and I would phone them up five minutes up front or two minutes up front even and saying, hey, I'm joining. Man, what happens then is crazy because sometimes the good guys, there is never a problem, right? But there is a lot of bad in there and they'll do crazy stuff and oh yeah, but it moved and then, but if it happens twice, there is a pattern, right? So do, you are the boss, it's okay to do it, and it will keep everybody sharp if they know you do it purely randomly. So don't never put it in your agenda, right? Just show up, listen, help. Second biggest mistake you can make is taking over. I did this, and this is really a problem I have, is I am a talker. You kind of guessed that. So I'm in a meeting, and it's so incredibly hard for me to shut up because I want to flex my knowledge, muscles, and that's the worst thing you can do. If you're there, give credibility, let them go. If needed, you can make a call or you can make a decision, but you also have to say to the customer, and that is the biggest issue I see when you go into scale up and you have to build true scale is CEOs, executives, founders taking over all the time. Stop doing that. We know you're good, but if you really want to grow, let it go. Build the material in such a way that there is no escape of saying the right things. And that is your problem.